Hey there, this is Alan. Thank you so much for streaming this message from Praise, which was shared by Reverend Jason Sprinkle, who has served as a missionary, as a pastor, and is now serving the the Cordes Burnett Center for Biblical Preaching in the Assemblies of God, which is an endeavor to help pastors to be trained well on how to read and preach from the Word of God. This message is called Hope in Jesus, and I know that the Lord is going to use it in your life to make a massive difference. It was a year ago this Sunday that we were preparing to announce to our church that we were leaving. If you had asked us a year before that, we would have told you we had plans to retire at that congregation. We loved and still do love that body of believers. We, we enjoyed being there. We had been through some difficult seasons, um, but we had come out the other side, and we were excited about the future at the church. And then this opportunity came up at AGTS, and a, a good friend of mine called and said, I think this is what God wants you to do. And so we prayed about it, and And so a year ago, we were preparing to announce our resignation to a congregation that we knew would be hurt. Um, And I can tell you as a pastor, it is a hard thing to know that you're about to hurt a body. And so we moved at the end of May, and it was, um, in fact, it was the the weekend of Memorial Day that we had moved to Willard, uh, Willard, Missouri. Um, As far as I know, there's not a Willard, Illinois. That'll be relevant in a few minutes. Um, we had arrived, our, our furniture was being shipped, but there was some difficulties with all of that. And so it was a Sunday morning before Memorial Day. We were sitting on the floor of our empty house, <laughs> staring at each other, wondering if we had made the biggest mistake of our lives. <laughs> we were disoriented, we were discouraged, and we were very much alone. We didn't know anybody. We didn't have a church family yet. We didn't know what the future was going to hold. We had left family. We had left friends. We had left two little foster kids. We had fostered for about seven years, and the last two we honestly anticipated probably adopting, which is not what we went into foster care to do. But through a series of events in in preparation before we had resigned, uh, things began to shift and change with those kids, and so they, they were moved out of our home. And we were a little heartbroken from that. We were grieving, still are, to be honest with you. And after 14 wonderful years at a church, we left. We moved because we felt like God had directed us to do it. But I can tell you on that Sunday morning before Memorial Day, We were discouraged. We were disoriented. We had no friends. We were very much alone. And the best we could hope for was that our furniture might arrive on Memorial Day. It didn't. (laughs) Now, believe it or not, that is the context emotionally of the book of Revelation. Now, I need to say up front that the circumstances are dramatically different. The people in the book of Revelation that it was written to initially were facing very real persecution. 
They had lost loved ones. They were losing jobs. The might of empire was against them in ways that, and we should thank God for it, none of us know. But they were without hope. They were beginning to wonder, kind of what my family was beginning to wonder, if God led us here, shouldn't things be going better than this? <laughs> Discouraged, disoriented, very much alone. Have you been there? Yes, of course you have. All of us have been there. For the people in these seven churches that the book of Revelation is written to, there was only one ruler in the world, Caesar. There was only one government, one kingdom, Rome. New and elaborate places of worship were being built around them, dedicated to Rome, dedicated to Caesar. And at the same time, these Christians were struggling in little house churches, trying to keep their heads down. They claimed to worship the one king of all kings. But that was Caesar's title in the world. And let's face it, it is hard to keep going when you feel like everything is against you. Discouraged, disoriented, alone. Persecution had just begun. Some of them had lost friends. More of that would be coming. What was the point of it all? Wouldn't it be easier to just give up? Have you ever felt that way? Yes. And the book of Revelation is written to say, no, don't give up. Overcome. Stay faithful. It's written to give us hope. What we want in those difficult circumstances is a release, right? We want the circumstances to change. It often drives us to prayer. We want to be set free from the fear. We want our circumstances to change, or at least we want courage to face it. And I have found in my life that often those things don't come. Because what we want is not always what we need. In fact, really this last series on idolatry was that, right? It's about reorienting the desires under what we think our desires actually are. What we want is release. What we want is courage. What we need is hope. And that's what Jesus gives us. And how we get it is the same way they received it at the beginning of this letter. Turn with me, if you will, to Revelation chapter 1. And you can keep your Bible open if you have it because it's... Listen, if you don't see what I think I've seen in Revelation this morning, I've messed up. It should be obvious to all of us. The way we receive hope is by seeing a vision of Jesus in power and glory. It's what we needed as a family sitting in an empty house on the floor. It's what the seven churches needed. They needed to see Jesus. And that's what John, John the elder, saw. And it's what he was instructed to write down for our help. Revelation chapter 1. I'm going to begin in verse 8. The Lord God says, I am the Alpha and the Omega, who was who is, who was, and who is to come, the Almighty. 
I, John, your brother and partner in tribulation and the kingdom and the patient endurance that are in Jesus, was on the island called Patmos on account of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day, and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet saying, Write what you see in a book and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus and to Smyrna, and to Pergamum, and to Thyatira, and to Sardis, and to Philadelphia, and to Laodicea. Listen, what Jesus is saying here in this passage to John, in verse 8 anyway, is that He is the beginning and the end. He is the A to the Z. But He's more than just the A and the Z, the beginning and the end. What the implication is, is that Jesus is the beginning of history, He's the end of history, and He's in charge of everything in between. He's every letter of the alphabet and every word that can be formed by every letter of the alphabet. Every bit of history is under Christ's control. So listen, if Jesus is the author of your story, you can trust that He knows everything that you're going through. And if that's the case, we can have hope. If it's true of history, it's true of you. Everything you face is under His control. It's what the ascension was all about, right? The disciples see Jesus going up into the clouds, but it's not that He's just going somewhere. That's all imagery from Daniel chapter 7 and Daniel chapter 10. It's a picture of Jesus walking into the throne room of God, and now He is seated on the throne. The entire cosmos is under control of Christ. Everything we face, everything we go through, this should give us hope. Jesus is in control of my story. Jesus knows what I'm going through. Your story, though, is going to have some difficult chapters. Look at verse 9. I, John, your brother and partner in the tribulation that is found in Jesus Christ. The word there is trouble. It's the same word. Jesus made us a great promise. Nobody ever claims this promise. Jesus said, in this world, you will have trouble. (laughs) Tell us something we didn't know. We just took communion today when we pastored in Kenya. Things had to be done a little differently there, and, and we pastored this international church, and it hit me one, one Sunday morning there several years ago. Um, they would come down to the front, and they would receive communion in a way that in our tradition we don't generally tend to do. But I'll never forget the moment. It hit me that they were walking down, and, and we see this in more liturgical churches, but they, they approached the altar, and they had empty hands, and they put their empty hands forward. And it hit me one Sunday morning. That is a picture of who we are. We come to the altar. We've laid everything. We've emptied ourselves. And and it was a difficult time in our lives. And this is what hit me. I laid everything on the altar. And you know what I received? The broken body of Jesus. Sometimes that's life, isn't it? You receive the broken body. Now there's hope in that. And we'll get to it in just a moment. But in this world, you're going to have trouble. Your story is going to have some terrible chapters. Trouble comes to all believers. Do you know why? We follow Jesus. 
And Jesus walked through incredible agony. And if we follow him, there are going to be times that we walk through incredible agony as well. I wish I could tell you that it isn't true, that it won't come to you, but I can't. Christianity is not the easiest way. It is the only way. But not everything goes perfectly all of the time. Some of you know that deeply in ways that I can't even begin to imagine. You have faced horrors that I know nothing of. You have faced discouragement far more than sitting in an empty house. But here's what we need to know. If Jesus is writing your story, the trouble that you face is not the end of that story. If Jesus is writing your story, it doesn't matter how abandoned you feel, you are never alone. Look at how he starts. Verse 9, I, John, your brother and partner in the trouble that are found in Christ Jesus. You are not alone when you face trouble. Listen to me, look around. See the people that are surrounding you right now. You are not alone when you face trouble. You are surrounded by people who have been through trouble and made it out the other side because they've followed Jesus. You're surrounded by people who love you and care about you. One of the great gifts that God has given to his people is his people. We are not alone. Some of you may need to find a connection with people, and I would tell you, join a small group. Get connected to people, because there are going to be days when you face trouble that you cannot get through on your own, and you're going to need other people. So make some effort, get connected, and there are people who are going through trouble that you have found, you have walked through and made it to the other side, who need to know from you that you'll get through this. Overcome. He's worth it. Keep going. If you're a part of a small group, we heard from a phenomenal theologian this week, Pastor Dylan Hartsog. It hit me so, it was a beautiful moment. Dylan re-emphasized in the Lord's Prayer, he is our Father. John is saying the same thing. You are not alone. You have partners and brothers and sisters in the trouble that is in Jesus. But, and thanks be to God, it's not just our friends and church family that are with us. Though I would tell you, one of the, most, one of the primary ways Jesus reveals himself to us today is through his body. It's his greatest gift to the world, in my opinion. The church. But Jesus is with us too. If Jesus is writing your story, you are never alone. But wait, there's more. If Jesus is writing your story, it doesn't matter how lost you are. He knows where to find you. (laughs) I, John, was on the island called Patmos on account of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. I was in the spirit on the Lord's day. Now, in Greek, that word on and in are the same word. It's one of my favorite dichotomies, the paradoxes in Scripture. It's this moment right here. John says, I was in prison, and I was in the Spirit. (laughs) Isn't that beautiful? You can be in the midst of trouble, and at the same time, you can be in the Spirit. And they're both true. And our life is lived in the tension between those two things. I was in prison. I was in Patmos. And I was in the Spirit. 
Jesus never abandons us in our trouble. He's always with us to the very end of time. He's with us. Since we moved to Willard, I've had this conversation three times. Someone will say to me, so where are you from? I'll say, we lived in Seneca, Illinois. And this is what they hear. Oh, Seneca, Missouri. Three times with our neighbors, I've had this conversation. Two times it went, two times it went this way. No, no, we're from Seneca, Illinois. I don't think there is a Seneca, Illinois. <laughs> what do you say to that? Well, there is. I lived there for 14 years. One time, this is what happened. I don't think so. I did learn if I have trouble, I'm not going to that guy. <laughs> because he's not paying attention to anything. John is saying essentially the same thing. Nobody knew where Patmos was. The Romans didn't like to travel by sea. It was a little island in the Mediterranean Sea. What John is saying here is, I was in a place that you couldn't find on a map. Seneca, Illinois is that place. Though from what I hear, Seneca, Missouri is kind of that place too. I don't know. I haven't been. John's saying, nobody knew where to find me. I was in prison alone. And then Jesus showed up. No matter how lost you feel, Jesus knows where to find you. He's with you. You are not alone. Only Jesus is the beginning and the end. Your trouble is not the end of your story. Jesus is the end. He knows where to find you. So don't lose hope. He knows where you are. Listen, if Jesus is writing your story, it doesn't matter how confused you are. Jesus has a plan for you. I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet. What John's saying there is, it was like the first note at a rock concert. Now I was a pastor's kid, so I've never been to a rock concert. That, that's not entirely true. But we won't go there. But the first note at a rock concert, it arrests your attention. It drowns out all other noise. It captures everything in your mind. John is saying... Everything that I was facing, everything that was difficult, I was, it was removed from my thinking, and I heard a voice. And the voice said, write what you see in a book and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus, to Smyrna, to Pergamum, to Thyatira, to Sardis, to Philadelphia, and to Laodicea. Now, we won't go into it, but chapter 2 and 3 deal with the specific letters to the churches, and they're all dealing with different circumstances. They're all experiencing some different things. Some of them are doing really well. Some of them are not doing so well. We're looking at you, Laodicea. But here's what we can say to encapsulate all of these churches. Jesus knew them intimately. He knew exactly what they were facing. He knew exactly what was going on in their spiritual lives. And Jesus had a word of promise and a plan for every one of those seven churches. 
Even the church that he was disappointed with, that he wanted to spit out of his mouth, Jesus had a plan for them and a future promise for them if they would repent. And even repentance is a word of hope. Because repentance is saying that God has not given up on you. He still has a great plan for you. All you need to do is shift direction and walk with the Lord of the church instead of moving against him. That is a word of hope. It doesn't matter how much you've messed up. Jesus still has a a promise and a plan for your lives. If you've been like me, that is hope-filled. Jesus has a direction for you even when you feel directionless. Jesus has a purpose for you even when you feel like you've messed everything up. When you're discouraged, when you're disoriented, when you're feeling alone, you need to know you're not actually alone. You can feel disoriented, but Jesus has an orientation for you to follow. Sometimes that requires repentance. But mostly what it requires first is what he tells all of the seven churches Have an ear to hear what the Spirit is saying. Lean into Jesus. Pay attention. All of the letters are personal. And if it's true for the church, it's true for us on an individual level. It's true. It doesn't matter how confused you are. If Jesus is writing your story, he has a plan for you. Here we go. Verse 9, one more time. I, John, your brother and partner in the tribulation and the kingdom that are in Christ Jesus. Now some good news. Your story is going to have some difficult chapters, but that's not the only part of the book. You are in trouble at times, and I can tell you, you're either coming out of a season of trouble or you're probably going into one. That's life. It's not good news. (laughs) But the good news is you're also a part of the kingdom. It's the beauty of the gospel, isn't it? The author of the story entered into the story. He wrote himself into it. Jesus is present with his people. Look look at verses 12 and following. Then I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me, and on turning I saw seven golden lampstands. And in the midst of the lampstands, one like a son of man, clothed with a long robe and with a golden sash around his chest. The hairs of his head were white, like white wool, like snow. His eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze, refined in a a furnace. And his voice was like the roar of many waters. In his right hand he held seven stars. From his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword, and his face was like the sun, shining in full strength. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. But he laid his right hand on me, saying, Fear not, I am the first and the last, and the living one. I died, and behold, I am alive forevermore, and I have the keys of death and Hades. Write, therefore, the things that you have seen, those that are and those that are to take place after this. As for the mystery of the seven stars that you saw in my right hand and the seven golden lampstands, the seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. The author is walking in our midst. He's present with us. Those lampstands, those are just symbols for the church. And Jesus is walking in his church. 
That means, and Pastor Danielle does such a great job of reminding us of this when she introduces the service, right? We gather together, and it's not just us who are in this room. Jesus is in our midst. Jesus knows what's going on in Laodicea. He knows what was going on in Thyatira. He knows what's going on in Pergamum, and he knows what's going on in praise. We are not alone. (laughs) Jesus is here. He is walking with us. All of this imagery in these verses is very dramatic. Most of it does come again from Daniel chapter 7 and and chapter 10. I'm not going to pick it apart for you. I think that gets a little dangerous anyway. Jesus only explains two of the symbols, and so we'll just trust that that's what's most important to us. But I can tell you, especially based on Daniel chapter 7, all of this imagery in these verses is to paint for us a picture of how strong Jesus is. They're symbols of strength, symbols of his kingly authority, symbols of the fact that Jesus holds everything in his hands. It's what Ephesians was, uh, what Paul was reminding the Ephesian church, right? Now he is far above any ruler or authority or power or leader or anything else, not only in this world, but also in the world to come. God has put all things under the authority of Christ and has made him head over all things for the benefit of the church. Jesus is in our midst. And so it doesn't matter how weak you feel. Jesus is strong enough to get you through it. This, in Revelation, I used to explain it to my church, it's like a cosmic opera or a magnificent piece of art. Sometimes the brushstrokes are very wide, but you don't have to pay attention to the detail of the brushstroke. You just step back and look at the overall picture that is being painted for you. And the picture in verses 12 and following is the picture of Jesus who has all of the strength, and no matter what you're facing, he's able to get you through it because he knows the way to the other side. He was dead, and now he is alive again and forevermore. No matter what you're facing, Jesus knows how to walk through it. If you're feeling disoriented, discouraged, very much alone, have hope. Jesus will get you through it. Several years ago, um, we were uh, in this town, and it was a small town. And so in small towns, churches are a a very big deal. And the, the grade school contacted me and said, hey, we're doing this remembrance for September 11th. Would you come and would you speak on hope? And I said, sure, I love hope. I would love this. And so I started preparing, and it began to become obvious to me that I don't know any hope apart from Jesus. (laughs) It's not just a concept that I latch onto. It's totally intimately tied to who Jesus is. And so I called the superintendent and said, hey, can we talk? So I sat down in his office and said, look, I'm going to be honest with you. I have hope. I love hope. I can teach on hope, but I can't do it without Jesus. Is that going to be a problem? And he said, no, just don't say Jesus. (laughs) Okay. So I did it. The kids who were in there, I I brought a three-foot-long gummy worm. Um, And a lot of them had hope that they were going to walk home with a three-foot-long gummy worm. And I talked about hope and it having to be tied to something that is stable, that is secure, that is bigger than you are. And afterwards, several teachers said to me, I know who you were talking about. (laughs) 
And I said, but I didn't say his name. <laughs> and I learned, you can preach the gospel in difficult circumstances, and it still goes through. <laughs> because his name is known. It was a glorious moment. But the reality of it is, I don't know how to preach Jesus or hope without Jesus. Because our hope is not in just a future, our hope is in a person. And the person of Jesus Christ matters because he has gone through death and come out the other side. I'm going to tell you something, yeah, I'm going to tell you something that I have never shared in this way with a congregation before. When I was a student at Central Bible College a long time ago, my homiletics professor said to me, listen, it's obvious to me you don't like public speaking you're going to have to get over this. And I said, I don't think I can. <laughs> I don't like... Listen, if you're being graded on how you preach and someone says to you, uh, the first words are, you clearly don't like doing this. <laughs> That's not like A-plus quality work. <laughs> Here's the truth. I still don't like public speaking. <laughs> I do it, and I've done it professionally for 27 years. I never have... Some people will tell you that courage is not beating your fear, it's facing your fear. But listen to me, it's not courage. I'm not that brave. I was helping a professor, she's moving into a new house, and she needed some electrical work done, and so I removed an outlet from her wall, and a bug flew out of the outlet. And I'm going to tell you something, I screamed like a three-year-old girl. <laughs> it was not my best moment. And I'm embarrassed to tell you, it's not the only time that I've done that kind of thing. When I was dating my wife, we were in her parents' home, and we were in the basement of her home, and a mouse ran across the floor, and I am terrified of mice. And my, my to-be wife got up. She goes, we're going to have to catch this mouse. I thought, oh, Lord. <laughs> Jesus, make me strong. <laughs> because I like this girl. <laughs> and the only thing I want to do is scream. And I'm not lying to you, my wife jumped up, she ran over to the corner, grabbed that mouse in her bare hands, stuck it in a mason jar, and I thought to myself, I'm marrying this one. <laughs> because when the going gets tough, tough, somebody in the marriage has to be the brave one. And it's not this guy. This is how bad it was. She said, she gives me this mason jar, her mom was... I can't, she canned food. She goes, will you, will you take this and release this mouse in a field on your way out? Because my mom will want the canning jar back. <laughs> and so I said, sure, of course. So I had this creature in, the, in the, the passenger seat of my car. I drove by a field. I rolled down my window and I chucked that whole jar. <laughs> I was not getting anything. I was not getting closer to that mouse than I already was. And then I went to the store and bought a new canning jar. Because <laughs> I'm not brave, but I'm not stupid. <laughs> Listen to me, I'm not brave. I, don't, I'm, I haven't overcome my fear. I'm not just facing my fear. 
I have learned that no matter what I fear, Jesus is stronger than it. Because the worst that can happen to me, even this Sunday morning, is for me to stand up here and prove to you that I'm an idiot. And you know what? Jesus faced worse than that for me. And he made it through. So even if I embarrass myself in a difficult moment, that's the worst that can happen to me. I have hope, not in my abilities. I have hope in Jesus. He will get me through. And that's what this, these churches, these seven churches, desperately needed to hear. It's what my family desperately needed to hear on that Sunday morning, that no matter what we face, Jesus has a plan for us. He's stronger than what we're against, and he's going to get us through to the other side. And we know this is the case because of the resurrection. That's what John or Jesus ties everything to. Fear not, I am the first and the last, the living one. I died, and behold, I am alive forevermore. And I have the keys to death and Hades. No matter what you're facing, Jesus holds the power in his hands. He will get you through it because he has walked through death itself and broken its power. I love that John says, I fell at his feet as though dead. I spent a lot of time with that word. Was, was this an act of worship? I fell at his feet in worship? Or was it, I fell at his feet because I had nothing left? And it hit me, a lot of life is both, isn't it? <laughs> right? We worship. Sometimes it's glorious. Sometimes we've got nothing left, Jesus. I'm just laying myself down here. Let me go. And Jesus reaches down and lifts him up. What a glorious moment. Hope doesn't mean that grief is gone. Hope means the grief will not have the last word. Hope looks in at the reality and the confusion and the difficulties of life and the devastating grief that we face, and hope enters into it. That's what Jesus does. He enters into the terror and he walks with us. Hope says, this is horrible. This is catastrophic. But this is not the end. Eugene Peterson, another great theologian, says this, Hoping is not dreaming. It is not spinning an illusion or fantasy to protect us from our boredom or our pain. Hope means a confident, alert expectation that what God has that what that God will do what he said he will do. Jesus brings victory out of defeat. He rose from the dead. He is life where there was once death. Hope does not ignore the reality of pain. It doesn't ignore the brokenness of the world. Hope, and, hope does not pretend that actually everything is okay. Hope acknowledges the harsh realities of life. And it says this will not be the end of the story. It's a chapter in the story. Because Jesus is the end of all things. So what do we do? Last time, verse 9, very quickly. I, John, your brother and partner in the tribulation and the kingdom 
and the patient endurance that are in Jesus. How do we move from the trouble to the kingdom? Well, we see Jesus, and then we just patiently endure. Keep going. Not as good as Pastor Dylan, but one of my favorite theologians, Paracanthus Hepatis, you know her better as St. Dory, the Pacific blue tang fish. <laughs> From Finding Nemo. She gave incredibly astute theological counsel that I hit my kids with all the time. Just keep swimming. Just keep swimming. Swim, swim, swim. But it's not just a slog, is it? It's not just going through the weeds constantly. Because Jesus is with us, we do have to patiently endure, and it is endurance. It's difficult. But we keep going because Jesus is with us, and he knows the way through it. And he walks beside us. He walks through the churches. He's with us. If it's true of the church, it's true of you. One of the great images in that passage is that Jesus is holding these seven stars in his hands, and he tells us those seven stars are the angels of the church. That word angel is actually the word for messenger. And I think what John actually means is that Jesus is holding in his hands the messengers of the church. That means whatever we face individually, whatever we face as a church, Pastor Allen is right here in Jesus' hands. And do you know what I know because I've, I know this guy? Pastor Allen is holding us in his hands. And so if our pastor has us in his hands and Jesus has our pastor in his capable hands, we are held, supported by the hands of Jesus. <laughs> I think I can face some problems this way. And so did these seven churches. I love John falls at his feet. When you see Jesus for who he is, it does knock you off your feet. John is in prison because he wouldn't bow before Rome. The churches he is writing to are beginning to wonder if it's worth it to even keep going. Should we resist the might of empire when all of the power of this world is crashing down upon us? John refuses to bow the knee before empire, but he falls on his face before Jesus. Part of being a follower of Jesus, in a sense, is that we live in a state of rebellion, not against governments, not against our neighbors, certainly not against God. But we rebel against the tyranny of death. We rebel against the tyranny of injustice. We rebel against the tyranny of racism. We rebel against those things that seem so powerful in our world, and we say, no, you will not be victorious. My God is victorious. My Savior is victorious. He is the only one that I will bow the knee to. And when we fall and our faces, whether it's dead or in worship, Jesus lifts us up and He carries us through whatever it is that we're facing. No matter what happens, I have hope for tomorrow. 
Not because I'm capable. Not even because my wife is capable. And she catches mice with her bare hands. I have hope because my Savior is capable. While we wait, we endure. No matter what you face, Jesus knows the way through it. No matter how alone you feel, you are not alone. Jesus is with you. No matter how lost you think you are, Jesus knows where you are and he knows how to find you. Have hope. He has a plan and a purpose. He is writing your story. Whenever trouble comes for you, he'll walk with you.